Okay, welcome everybody. Rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We're going through the book of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We like not only to hear the Word of God, but to see it. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. John chapter 18. This is in the middle of a trial. Jesus Christ is being tried by a Roman judge by the name of Pilate. So let's continue. We were, beginning of the trial was last week. We are continuing today. Verse 37, Pilate, therefore, said to him, to Jesus, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, so when Pilate took Jesus, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went out again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Caesar was the Roman emperor. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Verse 13, when Pilate heard therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha, and that was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, these, these weighty, weighty words, Lord. This, this sobering, these sobering words, these words that Lord, when, when we read them, our, our hearts even are heavy. And, and, and we're reminded, Lord, of that heaviness, the heaviness of our guilt, the heaviness of our shame, the heaviness 
of our sin that was put upon Jesus. And you're giving us a, a picture now, just a, a glimpse of the heaviness that he, that he took on for us because he loves us. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that by and in your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do a work of grace in us today through this word. I pray this for this church and every church in the city of Boston that teaches your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Again, we have the picnic this Saturday, and anyone who would like to be baptized, if you have not been baptized after giving your heart to Jesus, let's talk about it. And we do that in obedience to the Lord. Okay, so here, you, here we have it. John chapter 18, we find ourselves in the middle of a trial in which a Roman judge, Pontius Pilate, is having to decide whether to put Jesus to death. That's what's going on here. Six days earlier, Jesus had come into Jerusalem on a donkey. A vast multitude of people met him rejoicing, receiving him like the king that he was. So much so that they didn't want his donkey to walk over dirt, so they they put palm branches on the road and had had the donkey ride over the palm branches. And and they shouted out, Hosanna, son of David, a reference to the Messiah. And they shouted out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, the priests and the religious leaders, wow, they saw that and they didn't like that. All that attention going to someone who they couldn't control. And so they plotted to put him to death. And in the midst of their plotting, who shows up? Judas, one of the 12 apostles. And so they develop a plan to arrest Jesus. And it was a Thursday night, and Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, Jesus, rather Judas, during the Last Supper, leaves to where the priests and the temple officers are waiting to be led by him to go and get a hold of Jesus and take him off. Jesus and the 11 other apostles go from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane. The apostles fall asleep. Jesus remains awake. He's in agony. He feels the weight of the sin of the world begin to, begin to fall on him, begin to, to crush him. And, and, and And he cries out, knowing that the wrath of God was beginning to come upon him. The punishment that was due to you and due to me starting to come on him right there in that garden. And he cries out, oh God, if there is any way, take away this cup from me. Don't make me go through this. If there's any other way, but not my will, but yours. And then Judas shows up, not only with Jewish priests and temple officers, but with a large number of Roman soldiers. And they bind Jesus, and they take him to the high priest's house to be tried before a Jewish court. There were two trials, one before a Jewish court, and one before a Roman court. In the trial before the Jewish court, the the high priest says to Jesus, he says, I put you under oath by the living God. Are you the Christ? And how did Jesus respond? This is how he responded. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, meaning at a future time, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven, Matthew 26, 64. Now at that point, 
Uh, Matthew says that the, the high, peace, high priest uh, ripped his clothes, his robe, which was a sign at that time where, of someone committing a serious crime against God, blasphemy, and he and the others of this Jewish court, they condemned Jesus to death. One problem. The Jews at the time were under Roman rule, and they weren't allowed to put someone to death. Only a Roman judge could, and so they brought Jesus at that time after beating him up. They condemned him to death. Then it says they beat him up right there. They spat on him right there, and they took him to a Roman judge. And so that's where we come to this morning, that rather this afternoon, in, in, here in John chapter 18, Jesus, Jesus Christ face-to-face with a Roman judge. I mean, this is high, high, high drama. Jesus is, is in a court, and he's face-to-face with a Roman judge. Not only that, if you remember, he's face-to-face with a Roman judge really alone, because Remember, we, were, we talked about this last week. The Jews, because it was a, a religious feast, they refused to go inside the judgment hall. So where we're at this morning, it's just Jesus face-to-face with this Roman governor, Pilate. The Bible says that each of you are one day going to face Jesus in such a way, face-to-face with Jesus. It's all of you. And the Bible says that you are either going to be face-to-face, you're going you're to meet him in one of two ways. Either you're going to meet him as your king, because you made him your king. He, the Bible says he, he knocks on the door of every man's heart saying, I'm the king, now let me come in and I'll, I'll dine with you, I'll lunch with you, I'll have dinner with you. It's Revelation 3.20. And you asked them in. You said, come on in, king. I'm tired of being my own king. You come in. You're either going to meet him as king face-to-face, the Bible says, or you're going to meet him as judge. Jesus as judge. The, the Bible says that the real ultimate crime against God is rejecting the Son of God as your king. And if you reject this son of God as your king, you're going to meet him as a judge when you meet him face to face after you die. Face to face with Jesus, that's what the Roman uh, judges, what's happening right now, this Roman judge, uh, he's face to face with him. Now remember this judge, Pilate, he's described by one person an observer at the time who who knew him as having a furious temper, as being vindictive, as being inflexible, selfish, corrupt, insolent, violently murderous, cruel and insulting, regularly putting people to death without a trial or opportunity to prove their innocence. None of that stopped Jesus, though. None of that stopped Jesus from trying to pry into this man's heart with, a, with an incredible showing and demonstration of love. And that's where we left off last week. It says in, in back in verse, um, back verse 33, Pilate says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And what did Jesus say to him? He spoke right to his heart. He says, he says to, to Pilate, are you speaking for yourself? Meaning, are, are, is, this something, is this coming from you? Are you wanting to make me king? And so what do we see that Pilate did? He says, next verse, well, am I a Jew? What are you talking about religion uh, with me? Uh, that, that's what he said in verse 35. So it, it, this is God trying to, to approach him. It's like, get out of my face. You know, it, it's essentially what he said. Jesus doesn't give up. Pilate asks him again in verse 37. So you're a king then. You're a king. And Jesus says, you say rightly that I'm a king for this cause I was born. This is where we began this morning, rather this afternoon. 
And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And then he said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate, are you going to hear my voice? Are you going to hear my voice and are you going to surrender to me? I am a king. Are you going to hear my voice, Pilate? Now, we look at a guy like Pilate, and we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Just let this guy go to hell. I mean, he is a, he's a, a murderously violent man, the Bible says. Put people to death without a trial. Didn't care about giving them a, a chance to explain their innocence. Get, get rid of him. But that's not the love of God. He aggressively, confidently, boldly goes to the most wicked person on the face of the earth and just tries to barge right into his heart. But what does Pilate do? So that that was the second attempt that Jesus trying to get into his heart. What does he do? He says in verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is the truth? Who can really know the truth? And the next thing it says is, and when he had said this, he went out. You see, that's what people do. That's what people do. When they're confronted with the relentless, reckless, overwhelming, passionate love of God, there's only two results. (laughs) Either they, they surrender and they give up and they say, yes, okay, I'm tired of being a king. I surrender my heart to you. Come in. Come in. I give my all to you, or they take off. They run. They start asking, they start saying things like, well, who can really know who's the truth? Who really knows the right way to get to heaven? And then they go out. That's what Pilate did. What is truth? And it says, then he went out. I'm speaking to you this morning. If you're in here today, and you're running from God. Stop that. Stop that. Just bow down and surrender. In your heart, bow down and surrender to him and say, yes, you're my king. When I die, I want to meet you as a king, not a judge. And he will graciously, lovingly invade your life and take possession by the Holy Spirit. But interesting, huh? Ever talk with someone about God and all of a sudden it's either they're really interested or they're like, I need to get out of here. That's what we're like. That's what fallen man is like. And that is what we just saw from Pilate. It says in verse 38, he said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. Now, this is kind of strange, right? So he he doesn't want to surrender to Jesus. Jesus tried to break in and pry open his heart. And and God, you know, you you hear from time to time, God's a perfect gentleman. If you don't want him, he's not going to force his way in. So he's not interested in a personal relationship with Jesus, but he goes out and says, well, I find no fault in this man at all. You know, there's many like this in the world today where they know Jesus is the Son of God. They know it. They're not about to surrender to him, though, but at the same time, they ain't going to mess with him. I mean, this is Jesus. I'm not messing with Jesus. Give my life to him, forget it. But I'm not messing with that guy. And there's a fear. There is a, there's a fear of him. And, and Pilate feared. By this time, he feared Jesus. How do we know that? Go to verse 7 of chapter 19. Just skip ahead a little here. And it says that the Jews answered Pilate. You can read with me, chapter 19, verse 7. The Jews answered Pilate, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. In verse uh, verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. 
It says that he was already afraid, even before he heard that this report that he may be the son of God. He was, he was afraid already. Why? Well, for starters, Pilate was the Roman governor of the province. He already had the information about Jesus. <laughs> he was the governor. He was well aware of the reports that at the hand of Jesus, the blind were given sight, the deaf were made to hear, the dumb spoke, the lame walked, even the dead were raised. Pilate knew this. And remember who arrested Jesus? Who arrested Jesus? It was Jewish priests and temple officers, and who else? Shout it out. Roman soldiers. So Roman soldiers, together with Jewish priests and temple officers. Normally they hate each other, but they, they you know, united with each other to go and arrest Jesus. So who do the Roman soldiers report to? Shout it out. Shout it out. Caesar, Pilate. Pilate. Pilate knew what happened when they went to arrest Jesus. You guys remember what happened when they went to arrest Jesus? Went to arrest Jesus. Apostle Peter takes out a sword. He hacks off the high priest's ear. Jesus, what does Jesus do? It says in, uh, I think it's Luke or Matthew, he, he touched the guy in the side of the head and voila, there's an ear appeared. This gets back to Pilate. He, the guys who worked for him saw it. They went back to him and said, Pilate, let me tell you what we saw. And Pilate's like, I'm not going to mess with this dude. I'm not going to surrender my life to him. But he, 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 he was scared. He was scared at this point. Not only that, we learned from the book of Matthew that while he was seating, seated on the judgment seat, he gets a note from his wife our wives do this right in the middle of something we're doing. They'll send, out, send us a note. We're like, ah! Let's have it. Matthew, while he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate's freaking out. Doesn't want to surrender to this guy. But his faithful wife, in all kinds of other circumstances, but he knew. This, 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 this was not a normal guy. Don't mess with him. So what he does, he tries a couple different ways, in a couple different ways, and we're about to see it. He tries to set Jesus free. Because he doesn't want to be responsible for the death of Jesus. I mean, he's heard the reports, and, they, and, and he, he's no dummy at this point. He's not going to surrender to him, but he, he's not going to put this guy to death, at least he thinks. And he, so he's, he's going to try a couple things. The first thing he does, he tries, is in verse 39. Let's read it together. It says, but he says, he go, he says to the Jews, you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So each year, as an act of goodwill, the Roman governor released one prisoner, a Jewish prisoner. And so Pilate thought he was going to be able to get, get away, just make the situation go by, okay, it's the Passover feast, I'm going to give Jesus to you. And I'll see what happened, whether it worked. It says, verse, verse 40, it says, they, then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So they're not interested in Jesus, but they're happy to take Barabbas. In Mark and Luke, we learn also that Barabbas, not only was he a robber, he was a murderer. And, you know, pause here and just think about this. Wow. This is what we do, right? It's amazing. If we are not abiding with Jesus, if we're not living with him, if we're not living by the Spirit, it's amazing what we're willing to ask for in exchange for God, for Jesus. But for the grace of God, this is what we do. Jesus, uh, no, 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 thing. we don't want Jesus. And we latch on, we latch on to, really to death. Something that brings about death, Barabbas. 
Oddly enough, the name Barabbas means son of the father. Now, that's odd. They didn't want the, the son of the father, Father God, and they asked, that's for the son of the father, son of the devil. And they got that. It's amazing what we'll do, apart from the grace of God, it's amazing what we'll exchange for God himself. So we read next a second thing that the Roman governor Pilate tries to do to let Jesus go free. That's in chapter 9, verse, verses 1 through 5. It says, when, verse 1 says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And, and Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Verse 5, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. So the second thing that Pilate does to try to get Jesus set free is he tries to get him beaten up so bad that, the, that the, uh, the Jews will look at it and go, you know, okay, he got beaten up real bad. We won't go through with killing him. We really have to go to the Old Testament to read about the extent of what Pilate allowed to happen here. First of all, let me start with this. Where it says in verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That's the Roman scourge, the Roman whip, the Roman flagellum. It was a whip with three or four leather strands. Inside the leather strand, there were bits of glass and rock and metal. A Roman scourging, it was so brutal, it was not unusual for prisoners to die from the scourging. So Pilate has Jesus scourged, but then we read he was beaten. In first verse 2, it says they twisted a crown of thorns on his head. Ever wonder why Jesus wore a crown of thorns? Why they put that on his head? Think Genesis chapter 3 when God cursed man for rejecting him. What was the curse? Man was cursed. His curse was that he had to work the soil and the thorns of the soil would torment him. Remember that? So here it is, Jesus taking on the curse of man right on his head. They just, they just dug those thorns right into his head. It says, and they put on him a purple robe. They, said, they mocked him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Now, we know from Mark and Luke that he was blindfolded, which means, you know, sometimes when someone punches you, if you're not blindfolded, at least you can, like, put your head back a little to soften the blow. None of that. He's beaten beyond recognition here. How do we know that? Isaiah 52 says this, written 750 years before Jesus was born, it prophesies of what would happen to the Messiah. It says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So Pilate so badly wanted to not be responsible for putting this this holy man, to death, this is what he did to him. So that he could bring him to the Jews. He said, look, you don't have to kill him. Here. This is how he's trying to get out of the responsibility. Pilate hopes that they're going to be satisfied with that. Once again, you know, you try to, you try to compromise when dealing with God and try to do these weird kind of bargains. You know how we do with God? We just make weird bargains to try to 
keep on sinning, <laughs> you know, I'm going to stay in this life of sin, and, but, you know, and, but in the meantime, I'll do this for you, God, and eventually I'll turn around. No, no, it doesn't work like that. It's all or nothing. And so he tries to do this. He goes to this great extent. He brings Jesus up. Behold the man. There's a man beaten beyond recognition. What did the Jews do? Verse 6, therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take and crucify him for I find no fault in him. You know, for many, many years, I, I struggled so, with this. Why is there so much gore? Like, God, why is, there, why is there so much of this beating up? It doesn't stop at that. It's spitting on Jesus. Both times after the Jewish trial, after the Roman trial, they spit on him. They beat him up. They mocked him, and it just doesn't stop. I mean, we were read about it last week. We're reading about it t- today. We're going to read about it a- again when we pick back up, you know, in, 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 this, in this chapter. Why, Lord? Why do we? It, is this so necessary? Is it really necessary? And, you know, as, as I was preparing this message, I... I, I really, just doing my reading and things like that, I feel I discovered the reason why. Of course, there's one reason. He had to fulfill prophecy, right? Jesus had to fulfill every single bit of prophecy in the Old Testament. And one of them was that he would be beaten beyond recognition. But there's another reason as well. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He says, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And there's one law back there in the Old Testament that when we read it, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of crushed under the weight of it. And it's this. It appears three times. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20. Eye for for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as he has done to a man, so shall it be done to him. Anybody ever heard that? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as he has done to a man, so shall it be done to him. occurs at least three times in the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, quotes it as well. And so, again, Jesus says, I came not to do away, not to do away with this law, but to fulfill this law. And, and you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of the laws in the Old Testament. I, you know, I get it. The Ten Commandments. You shall no, have no other gods before me. You shall not form a god out of, any, you know, out of any image and bow down to it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. So that I get. Yeah, our Savior. He did all those things perfectly. He was the only one in the history of the world who, who fulfilled all those things perfectly. And, and, and because he did, all that perfection in him, the Bible says, is transferred to our account because the Bible says that heaven, we must be perfect to get into heaven. So we can be perfect if Jesus transferred, transfers all that righteousness to our account. But what about this one? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. As he has done to a man, so shall it be done to him. When I read this, it just crushes me. I mean, you mean that every person I've injured, every person I've harmed, every person I've wounded, if the law is fulfilled, 
all that needs to come back to me, all that harm, all that injury, all that wounds that, that I've inflicted on others for the last 55 years, that needs to come back to me in exact equal measure for exactly eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Exactly? That, that's, if that were to ever happen, I would be so crushed. I would be just a lump of flesh on the ground. Disfigured beyond the appearance of any man. Jesus fulfilled that for me and for you. Every single bit of harm you have done. Now, when I was preparing this message, I always prepare, look, Lord, how can I really get my point across? And just praying and... Um, I just want you, I want all of you to just to see the incredible extent of the grace of God. Because once you understand the grace and love of God, you will go out and you will obey God, not because of a bunch of religious rules and laws, just, but because God's loved you so much, how can you do anything else other than obey him? And I ask the Lord, how can I get this, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing and the fact that Jesus fulfilled that for me across. And so I, I decided I'm going to take a big risk. <laughs> and for those of you who know me, this is a big risk. I'm going to quote Bono. Bono, the rock star from U2. Now, it's a big risk for me because two reasons. One, I personally don't like secular music, and I don't recommend it to you. <laughs> and it's, it's not that it's all bad. It's just that with secular music, you know, there's lyrics there, and, and once we're singing them, what's going on in our head the rest of the day? Tell me. Those same lyrics, you know, baby, I miss you so much, I go into the woods and cry. And then all day, baby, I... <laughs> miss you so much, I go in the woods and cry, baby, I, and by three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, ah! why am I crying? Because of what I've been meditating on. So enough, I'm, I'm going to get off. I'd rather be meditating on the beauty and love of Jesus Christ. There's so much worship music that I, why would I go to anything else? But anyway, I'll get off my box. Yes, there's a freedom there. But Bono, also, he's done a lot of stupid things and said it. Some of his behavior in public is, has been really foolish and stupid. So I'm taking a risk here. But I got to tell you, uh, he was interviewed about three or four years ago by a French journalist, Mishka, M-I-C-H-K-E. Okay, where are my Haitian French speakers? Mishka? Mi Mishka? What? Mishka. 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 So a French journalist named Mishka. And this interview was stunning to me. The, the way this man, Bono, was able to articulate the Christian faith, I was completely blown away. And so I'm just going to take you to the middle of the interview. Uh, Bono says this. He says to the French journalist, he says, it's mind-blowing, this concept that God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And Mishka says this. He says, whoa, I haven't heard you talk about that. And Bono says, well, I really believe we've moved, we Christians have moved out of the realm of karma into one of grace. And Mishka says, well, that doesn't make it any clear for me. Explain. And Bonner responds. He says this. He says, you see, at the center of all religions is this idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to turn on its head the whole as you reap, so you will sow stuff. 
Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, and the consequences of your action, which in my case is very good news because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And Mitchka said, well, I'd be interested to talk with you about that stupid stuff. And Bono says, well, that's between me and God. But I would be in big trouble if karma was going to be finally be my judge. I'd be in a lot of trouble. Now, it doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religion. (laughs) And Mishka says, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. I wish I could believe that. Then he goes, then Bono goes on to make one of the most incredible apologetics of why Jesus really is the Son of God. But, 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 but the point that, he, that I wanted to bring, up, uh, uh, bring across to you is that everybody has this innate sense that what you do is going to come back to you because it's true. Apart from the cross, apart from the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we're all in a whole lot, a whole heap of trouble, of judgment, meeting Jesus as the judge. But then there, then, as, as Bono put it, love interrupted history. <laughs> Is that incredible? Love interrupted. It broke into history and said, ain't no way any of you can do this. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Everyone crushes under the weight of that. And so why all the gore? Why all the beating up? Why all the, uh, this treatment of Jesus repeatedly spit upon, struck, and mocked? It's because it, it, it's, Jesus here is fulfilling Leviticus 24, 20. All those times you cut someone with your tongue, you murdered someone. The Bible says, Jesus says that anger is murder. You murdered someone with your anger. You chopped someone down, maybe literally, physically. Maybe you murdered someone. But, but, but all the time, the eye for an eye, the tooth, anytime you've harmed someone, injured someone, wounded someone, when you're reading Jesus, getting all beaten up, he is fulfilling Leviticus 24, 20 for you. This is what love looks like. This is how much God loves you. I, I, I just, it's my prayer, my desire that every one of you leaves this room obeying the word of God, not because of it's a law, but because God has loved you so much. Grace interrupted history. He broke in it for me. The God of the universe appeared as a man and got beaten beyond recognition so that I could live in a relationship with him. Incredible. So let's, let's continue. I'm going to wrap up here. It says that, um, so, so Pilate tries to get away with not killing Jesus by just beating him to a pulp. It doesn't work. They still want to crucify him. And, and then at the end of verse 6, he still is trying to say, he doesn't want to be responsible for it. It says, well, you take him and crucify him. And then again, verse 7, it says, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Again, verse 8, we read this earlier. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Who are you? Where are you from? Now, we know from the book of Luke, he knew where Jesus grew up and he knew where Jesus lived in northern Israel. He's not asking him where he came from in, in that sense. He's like, what planet are you from? Who are you? He's really scared. But he's not going to surrender to him. But Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, 
Let's read this carefully. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Caesar being the Roman emperor. Whoever makes himself a king, meaning Jesus made himself out to be a king, speaks against Caesar. Verse 13, then Pilate, rather when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And that was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. Verse 15, but they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Verse, verse 16, Then Pilate delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Now as I ask the worship team to come up at this time, I want to call your attention to the beginning of verse 13 where it says, when Pilate heard that saying, it says that he, at that point, he took Jesus out and just gave him over to be crucified. What saying? You you are no friend of Caesar, that's correct. Meaning, when they started saying, if you let this guy go who call himself a king, you're an enemy of Caesar. Now what we learn, what we don't, what we know from historians of the time period, we learn that Pilate had previously got into a lot of trouble with the Roman emperor because of his treatment of the Jews. So here we go again. There's a situation where he doesn't want to get in trouble with the Roman emperor again. He doesn't want that to happen. And so you have the Jews saying, they know the history. They're like, hey, you want to get in trouble again with the emperor? And it says, when he heard that, that's when he gave Jesus up to be crucified. So I want to close with this. Pilate will go down in history as the guy who gave Jesus up to be crucified knowing he was innocent. He said, I find no fault in this man at all. But every human being, including every one of you in this room, has a responsibility when you're confronted with Jesus to choose Jesus. To choose what to obey him, to obey his word. Let me, let, let me hash that out a little. You're going to be in situations at your work where you're, there's going to be a situation where it comes down to letting Jesus go, letting your witness go, or your job, in your family at home. Or in your extended family. You'll be in situations where you're going to have to be making a decision. Do I keep my mouth shut and keep the peace around here? Do I just let Jesus go? Or do I please God and obey God and obey his word? You know what the crazy thing is? Within two years, Pilate did some other thing, dumb thing, was deposed by the emperor, exiled into modern-day France, and committed suicide. He's trying to keep his job. And, and this is Christian. This is, this is, that's you if you're compromising. You try to hold on to your job. You try to hold on to your marriage. You try to hold on to your friendship. You try to hold on to... Uh, whatever uh, situation that you are in life where you're being asked to compromise, you're going to lose what you're trying to keep. You will lose anyway. This is what happened with Pilate. He did all this stuff to try to keep his job and he wound up losing his job and his life anyway. Jesus loves you so much. He blazed the path for you. The Bible says, we read in John chapter 10, he's got you in the palm of his hand. If there's some area where you've been sort of letting go of Jesus, keeping your mouth shut or whatever, 
stop it. <laughs> and start living by faith. Jesus got you in the palm of his hand. He said, in no ways am I ever going to let you be cast out. Because in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good heart. I have overcome the world. He, he doesn't promise us not, no trouble. He doesn't promise us we'll never get fired. But he'll, he'll promise that he will always be with us. He'll always provide for us. And the Bible says of a righteous man, he, she shall lack no good thing. <laughs> no good thing will the Lord withhold from a man or woman who fears him. That's the God that we serve. So as we, be, as we begin to worship, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time, two things. One, if you've never made Jesus your king, it's a simple prayer of faith. It's not an easy prayer of faith, faith because you've got to count the cost before you do it. But the Bible says there's only one way to enter, enter into a relationship with Jesus. So open up your heart by faith. Say the words. And he's in. And he invades. And he possesses. And the Bible says it's final at that point. Your relationship is final. He'll, it's his responsibility to keep you and get you right into heaven. Jesus said, I came to give, not only to give life, but to give it more abundantly. That's the testimony of anyone who's ever opened up their heart to Jesus and allowed him to come in as king and obeyed his word, an abundant life. If you've never done that, come up, let's pray about it. It's a prayer of faith. Or if there's any other area of prayer where you just need to be strengthened. Wow, you know, I'm not trying to make this out to be easy, but some of you are in some tough situations in your family, at work, or wherever. And you need prayer. You need strength. You need the strength of God just to help you, not to let Jesus go and, and walk with him there. Come up and pray as we begin worship. You can stand for this closing worship song. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We, there's a part of us that's filled with shame and guilt as we, as we look at the treatment of you. And we just consider what you went through to fulfill the law so that we could have a permanent place in heaven and a relationship with you. Oh, the things that you have done. Oh, the suffering you bore. Oh, the punishment that was inflicted on you for us out of love, that heart of love. We praise you for that love. I pray for anyone here, Lord. Complete the work that was started when they came in here this morning seeking you. Just what is it? There's a place. They teach the word of God. Let me go in. Let me hear. What does God have for me? There's a lot that you have for them. Continue that work of just... I'm getting to know you in a full, abundant way. Father, I, I pray that you just give us the grace now to close out and worship with our hearts bowed down to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you'd like, you can come up and pray.